Life is complicated, no? Have you ever wondered how must our brothers in Russia and Ukraine feel? I want to talk about this. We talk about the relief for Turkey, and that's good. We should be praying for those people over there. But I think you should put in the front most part of your prayer life, prayer for the Russian-Ukraine situation, war. Hundreds of thousands of people have died, of which we'll probably not know the number because of the way they do things there. But let me tell you that the pastor of the church in Pavlesk, one of the pastors, he actually, he's a kind of a senior pastor. He's in charge of, of supervising or working with 40, 50 churches in the area. Dear friend of mine, Russian, he used to be a military man there in Russia back during the Cold War, and um, he got saved, married a Ukrainian woman who had come to Russia, and of course Russia and Ukraine were same country at that time, you know, same area, <clears throat> and uh, she got saved in such a transformation of her life that he said, hey, what's going on? Who can change a woman like this one? And God changed her, and then he became a man of God, a very faithful servant. I tell you the story because his family is Russian. He comes from Russian family. His wife's family is Ukrainian. And it's hard because she has family in the Ukraine. This is one of the prime expressions of godlessness in the world today. I don't know if you've been keep it, keeping up. It's hard to keep up because a lot of people say a lot of things, and so you've got to be real selective, real cautious. But men and women, but mostly men, are dying for no reason. There's rebellion in Russia. The president of Russia has made himself an autocrat. I mean, he, what he says goes. And it's a bad, bad situation. The problem in the church is that, like in any situation, we tried to choose up sides. I'm for this, I'm for that. It happens in churches. It happens in families. That's life, you know. Sometimes we think we see things clearer than the person next to us. And Unless we've walked in the shoes of somebody else who's opposed to us, we don't know what we're talking about. So unless we understand the person, really, it's kind of hard to say to someone. I was just talking to my brother Richard. His wife passed away, and he said, he said so many people came to him. Oh, she's in a better place. Well, that I know. You know, that doesn't help. And sometimes we use little words and little cliches and try to say something. We don't really know what to say. But in times of war, we... We tend to take sides. There is no sides. I'm not saying that Ukraine is a perfect place. It's not. Neither is Russia. People are people. But we see that this is a, in a godless country, a godless man uh, who, who has been blessed by the metropolitan of the Russian Orthodox Church, which would be the, the pope of, of the Russian Orthodox Church. He has blessed him and said, this is a good war. This is a spiritual war. So this is why Putin went in. Well, I don't know if that's why he went in, but anyway, he got the blessing from the Metropolitan. Kirill is his name, Kirill. It causes people to choose sides. 
And the problem is not so much in the world that they should choose sides, but in the church. And as you pray for the, for the brethren in Russia and Ukraine, pray that they may not divide themselves in sides and partisans because any war is bad. Any war is bad. It's a result of our sinfulness. So pray. And if there is division in the church, in your life, in your family, in, in between you and your spouse, hey, it's not of God. It's not of God. So be careful. But be in prayer. Be in prayer. And I say that because the title of the message today is, Who Then Is This? And basically, it's the story of Jesus Christ calming the sea when he was in the boat. Remember, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Mark 4, 35. And um, read that. Uh, we're going to read that portion of Scripture where Jesus was in that boat asleep in the rear of the boat. or I don't know, boats don't have rear. I think they call it the aft part of the boat. You have it? Mark, if you want to read it this afternoon in Luke and Matthew, you can see the uh, same story told by one of the different evangelists. The writers. You have it? On that day when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. After dismissing the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a fierce gale of wind developed and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling with water. And yet Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, to the sea hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I can guarantee you that your life is going to have some storms. Trials will come. There's enough biblical tests, text to express to us that we are going to pass through diverse trials. That will come. Some greater, some lesser. We always pray, oh Lord, not me. We don't want to pass through a trial. We're afraid of trials. We'd rather not. But there is something good that comes from that. So we're going to have trials. Now, who we pass through with these trials, who comes along with us through our trials is our choice. We can look to our friends, our neighbors, to our relatives, to counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists. We can look to all these people. And they can be our companion to the best of their ability. Or we can choose Jesus Christ. 
to be in the boat with us as if to say of this story. But sometimes though we may have Christ in our life, we say, well, I'm a believer. Sometimes we act like the disciples with no faith. We get very afraid. And he says, why are you so afraid? And when he said that, they said they got even more afraid because they did not know who he really was. Of course, they saw him multiply the breads. They saw him do all these miracles. And somehow, after all that, something was just not totally clicking in their mind as to who Jesus was. And so they asked themselves, who is this man? Never have we seen somebody calm storms, hush the wind. He's done this. Tempests will come, but we must be prepared for them. So we have to take companions with us. We have to take life companions with us in our storms. And I think that, you know, you have a wife, you have a husband, you have a mother, a father. Those are all good. But sometimes the wife, the husband, the mother, the father may not be as close to the Lord as they should be. So who's the best companion, but if not Jesus Christ or the people of God, the church? Because if you're part of the church and you're going through some kind of a struggle, you have a myriad of people who are praying for you and supporting you and helping you and doing whatever it takes. A small example, let me tell you, my sister's husband died years ago. I was still pastor here. He died. It was tragic. And she was left with three boys. And they were little ones. And she said sometimes they didn't have enough to pay the house. And the payment was made by the brethren in the church. Sometimes there was a knock on the door and before she could get to the door, they were gone. But they left a bag of groceries. People from the church constantly calling, how are you doing? When we go through trials, if we do not have this connection, we're gonna feel very afraid, very fearful. James in first chapter says in verse two, consider it all joy, brethren, when ye encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I like this verse, except I don't like the first part. Count it all joy. I, I find that very hard to see. But he is telling us, count it all joy. Why would I enjoy or consider it joy when I go through a trial? Why? And I've tried to think of this in many ways. And, and, and you know, when, when you're at the top of the charts as the best boxer or as the best baseball player or the best whatever, then there's somebody who says, I'm better than you. And then there's a testing period where you confront one another. And I've never seen a boxer or heard of a boxer who has to defend his title feel like, oh no, I don't want to do this, I'm afraid. He's ready for the challenge, he prepares for the challenge because that's going to prove that he is the best. We talk about gold being refined with fire and, and all this and the fire causes all the bad stuff to go out and part of that is this. So when we find ourselves in a struggle, we say, 
okay, God, you're doing something in my life. First of all, thank God he's doing something in my life. Some people go through their life without really having that interpersonal relationship with God every day. Sometimes we find it hard to spend 15 minutes reading the Bible and praying every day. I know how it is. As a pastor, sometimes it was easier for me to spend the time reading and preparing a sermon than reading in time and just nourishing my own life. And if you're not a pastor and you don't have that extra time to prepare and you're a mother or a father and you work and you have all kinds of time and you don't have time for that, you're too busy. Set aside that time. Steal it from someplace else. Of course, if they're paying you, don't do it at work. That would be wrong. So count it all joy, brethren, because when you encounter these trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, what does that mean? Well, I don't know except that you're going to be able to keep on going. You see, when your faith is tested, you can continue in faith. If you say, well, I have faith, but it's never been tested, you may not have faith. So you have endurance, and then he goes on, let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And that's our goal as Christians, to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And what do you mean by lacking nothing? Is there somebody that needs to feel the love of God around you and your family? Is there somebody who needs to hear a kind word from you? Is there some place where you need to be salt and light as a Christian? For it's easy to be here, sing nice songs, good music, hear good preaching when Brother Luis uh, preaches, you know, good teaching, good fellowship. But then we go away from here and, and what are we doing? Who cares in your life outside the church? Who cares of your faith? Who cares about your faith? Sometimes I wonder if, if we're in a condition we are because our light has not shined bright enough in this world. If there's darkness in the world, it's because we're not shining brightly. There's hope and hope in Christ. And we need to preach that message and go and take that message everywhere. Now, sometimes we suffer because we're doing something wrong. Sometimes we suffer because of our hard-headedness. And, uh, you know, it's always good when we suffer because of our hard-headedness to be close to God because then we can repent and, and get it right. But, you know, when, when you suffer because you did the wrong thing and then you sit down and re- re- think about it and review it in your mind, it was my mistake. Of course, it's hard to admit that it's your mistake. Especially with a wife. I didn't say that. (laughs) But when we have a a body of people around us that will encourage us and tell us, look, you need to do something. And can we approach each other with godly love and godly assurance that we're not going to offend you and, and, and not in an offensive way? Can we approach each other and build each other up? We ought to be able to. 
Hebrews 10, 25 says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and more so when the day is coming because we need to encourage one another. In some places it says we need to provoke one another to love. So times are difficult and thank God we live in this country. Thank God that we live in this country. For the most part, we are free. We are free. So there are some people who, who, who get into trouble for something or other, and you got to read the whole article before you realize, well, yeah, he did something wrong. Sometimes we want to love somebody even if they don't want to be loved. You know, we want to help somebody even if they don't want to be helped. And we need to be careful how we're going to do things. But if in all righteousness we're trying to help someone and we suffer because of it, then to God be the glory. Talked about being in Russia, and this is first encounter I've had with the text uh, of, of this nature. I was in the middle of, uh, of Russia, right in the Ural Mountain area, building a, a church building for, for a nice church. It was a multilingual church. They were, spoke Russian, Ukrainian. Uh, uh, they had the, the uh, native people there, uh, and then they had some other groups, and then they had sign language. It reminded me of Pico, you know, we had the three English, Spanish, and sign language. And I was walking to this construction site, there's a group of us walking, we had had lunch and we were walking, and uh, this lady had um, joined us, you know, she was part of the, a part of the group, part of the church, and I asked her, I said, tell me a little bit about your salvation experience, and she says, oh, well, I was a teacher, and I felt, you know, that I, my life was worth nothing, and somebody told me about Jesus, et cetera, et cetera, and she came to know Jesus Christ, and she told me, I rejoiced with her, and I said, well, tell me, what's your greatest desire now? that you're a Christian. She'd been saved a few, you know, maybe a year. I said, what's your greatest desire now? And she said to me, well, I pray, I desire that God would allow me to suffer for him. That he would allow me to suffer for him. Well, I almost tripped. I almost fell over. Never heard anybody say, allow me to suffer for you, Lord. But it is sometimes through our suffering that we get closer to God. And nobody who suffers for the Lord regrets it. Uh, sometimes we'll suffer for our own sin and that we deserve. But uh, when, when we go through trials because of our faith, then God blesses us in a very special way. And in this country, we don't know that. We don't know that. We, we've never had to, to suffer for our faith. Nobody's ever thrown a rock at you for being a Christian. Uh, I have been, no, I haven't thrown a rock. I've been thrown, I've been cast at a rock. I was a little boy going to church in Mexico and uh, the Catholic church people did not like us to go to church. Didn't like the, we called us Alleluias. For so those of you who might be older, maybe understand this, called us Alleluias and, and started chunking rocks at us. And uh, I was talking to a, an old man here in, in, in one of the churches there in Texas when I was in seminary. And she, he says, yes, yes, I remember we used to put our Bible on our head so that if, if a rock would hit us, it wouldn't hit us on our head anyway. It may hit us someplace else, we'll bust our head open because people would throw rocks at us make fun of us because we were Christians. Well, we don't suffer that in this country. Maybe in the future it's going to be like that. 
Maybe in the future it's going to be like that. No, I understand that some churches were suffering because they kept the doors open because the government said this. That's different. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when somebody hates you because you're a Christian. Somebody let the air out of your tires because you're a Christian. Somebody will key your car because you're a Christian. Have you had that? Growing up in Houston, Texas, one of the worst schools in junior highs because we were Christians. Some of the other kids didn't like us. Well, we weren't Catholic, we were Christian, you know? They didn't like us. Suffering for the Lord. And, and well, the apostles, you know, when they got beaten, they went home, went away rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for him. I don't look for it. But if it comes, let us rejoice. Jesus said, be of good cheer. In this world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we're, gonna, we're guaranteed. We're going to go through struggles. When you get as old as I am, I don't know if I'm older than most people here, but I don't see any old faces, but uh, you begin to wonder, you know, when you have to get out of bed asking permission to the legs to please move, move along. <laughs> I don't think it's that kind of suffering, but that is too. Uh, a struggle in life, just simply because life is in this world. But in this life, we must have that purpose, that God-given purpose. And it's not just coming to a good worship service and hearing a good message and reading a little bit of the Bible, but what is the purpose that God has set for you in your life? What is the call that God has put upon your life? He has gifted you with a gift, with an ability, whether it's teaching or preaching or even just serving. I think everybody serves, right? We, we should all serve. Have we served one another? Have we been to the bedside of somebody who is ill or the encouragement to somebody who is discouraged? Have we looked for those places where we can actually be the servant of Jesus Christ, the presence of Christ. Years ago here, someplace out of Pico, but here while I was pastor, I was told that a lady was going to be dying. She was dying. She had breast cancer, and a young lady, a mother, three kids, and asked me if I would go pray. Clear the other side of Los Angeles. Of course. I'll go, and I'll say, what can I do? I'm going to just pray. What can I do? Just sitting there and praying with the lady. She was worried about her children. I don't know if my husband can take care of them. Can we trust God? Let him take care of them. Was I help? I, I would hope so. Made the effort. Sometimes... To do the right thing is going to cost you time, energy, money, whatever it is. It's going to take something out of you. In Russia, I think I told you this one time. In Russia, a young man says to me, I want us to go visit my father. He's dying of cancer. He's got cancer in the stomach and he's dying. And he doesn't know the Lord. And I said, well, sure, I'll go with you. 
uh, where is it? Well, it's a little ways out, a little ways out. It took us three hours to get there. We went by subway, we went by tramway or streetcar type thing, and three hours. And then when we got there, it was still another mile walk in the muddy terrain because it had been raining. And I'm walking in the mud, and it's cold. You think it's cold here. It's cold. It's freezing. It's melting and all kinds of mess. And I'm walking, and then I'm thinking, God, what am I doing here? How is this going to be any good? Could we not wait for a better climate? We got there, and the man's laying down on his couch. I introduced myself. His son was there and introduced each other. And, and I said, how are you doing? He says, I'm dying. I'm dying. I said, yeah, it's, it's sad, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know about life after death? Well, I heard. I don't know anything. And I began talking to him about faith in Jesus Christ and the talking about life that God has given. And I wrote an article, you may have read it when I it was in the paper, the reports that they give out from the IMB, going from death to life. A man condemned to death. I mean, his, his stomach was all puffed up and he was really bad off. And long story short, he prayed, gave his life to Jesus Christ, whatever he had. And I saw in his face a change, a dead man's faith, face coming to life. The next day after we left there, the next day, his son calls me, Slava. His name was Vicislav. Slava calls me and he says, brother, my father passed away last night. What a joy. What a joy. Had I not gone, would God have saved him? Sure, God's plan is God's plan. But I am so rejoicing that he chose me to struggle through that, which wasn't much, but to struggle through that four-hour trip, three-hour trip. Sometimes your best stories, your best experience as a Christian is as you sacrifice to help to share the gospel, the love of Christ. When trials come, fear is a companion. And don't tell me you're not afraid. What happened 19, I mean 2019, COVID-19, 20. I changed it, it's COVID-19, 20, because we got everybody gained 20 pounds. <laughs> uh, but COVID-19 brought the fear of God in us, didn't he? Didn't it? Oh my goodness, everybody was afraid. And we couldn't go to church because we wanted to be with the brethren and hug each other, love each other. Ow. And so we were all afraid by ourselves, locked up at the house. Imagine the Chinese, they were welded, their doors were welded, they couldn't get out of the house. Fear. Fear will cause us to do all kinds of things. But when faith comes in, fear leaves. Remember the little psalm you used to pray when you were a little boy, little girl, and before you went to bed? In peace I will both lay me down and sleep. You alone, O oh Lord, will make me dwell in safety. Did you ever pray that when you were a kid, teach the kids in peace? Maybe in Spanish, en paz me acostaré, y así mismo dormiré. 
Porque tú, Jehová, me harás estar confiado. Or when the apostles said, when they were told, well, you got to forgive. That's a trial. Forgive your brother. Seven times seven. Or if he comes every day, you're going to have to forgive him every day. If he comes every day and asks you, oh, I'm sorry, you need to forgive him. That takes a lot of faith, you know, because some people are just habitually contrary. They're going to oppose us, going to hurt us. And we need to forgive them. So the apostles probably were confused about this, saying, man, that's going to take a lot of faith. And so they say to Jesus, increase our faith. Luke 17, 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And what did he say to them? If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you can uproot tree from here and send it to the ocean to be planted over there. When is the last time you uprooted a tree and sent it to the ocean to be planted there? If you have faith of a mustard seed, you can do that. Well, obviously, that's not the reason why we have faith. But what Jesus was saying, you can do the impossible if you just had faith. And so if in faith we face our fears, we can overcome them. In faith we face our trials, we can grow by them and become, as we read earlier, those that are complete, lacking Nothing, if in faith we replace that fear with faith of our Lord, in our Lord. Yes, and we need that faith. And so if Jesus is our companion, how can we miss? You remember Peter, when he walked on the water? Jesus comes walking on the water and he intended to pass by them, you know, and Mark says that. He's walking on the water and, and they've been rowing, wind was contrary, and they see him, they get afraid, they say, oh, it's a, it's a ghost, and they're all screaming and hollering, and Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter says, yeah, if it's you, command me to go to you. Well, come. He jumps out of the boat and walks on water. Now, brethren, I've never walked on water, and I think Peter's the only human, well, Jesus too, he was human, the only two that ever walked on water. There was no stones there, it was just water. There was a boat there, it was, wasn't on, on the land. And he walked on the water. Then he took his eyes off Jesus. Sometimes we do some miraculous things. We say we preach a good sermon, brother, and we think, "Wow, how a good boy am I?" Right? That's not the, what it's about. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Why? In Hebrews, he says, "You know, having all this cloud of witnesses that we have, you know, because of the faith and all this, turn, turn our eyes and look to Jesus. Because if you look to me or if you look to a human being, you're going to be f- sorry." I need to look to you. If you, if you look to, to Solomon, you remember Solomon, wisest man in the world? What did he do before he died? What did he, he abandoned God. He got so bad, he started building for the women that he was living with, which he should not have been doing. For these women, he started building altars to their gods and sacrificing to them. And God said to him, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and I'm going to give it to, 
I confused Jeroboam or, 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 or uh, Rehoboam, yeah, one of them. And we'll give it to him. And what did he say? What did, what did Solomon do after that? He chased that man out of the country. He wanted to kill him. Can you believe that God reveals himself, tells him what he's going to do? Then he says, oh yeah, you watch what I'm going to do with him. Would you say that's the wisest man in the world? Wow. When we think that we're something, that's when we fail. We must always look to Jesus. I cannot look to Solomon. I cannot look to Peter or Paul because they're human. They're only men. But looking to Jesus, he is the author, the finisher, the completeness of our faith. Look to Jesus. He will never fail us. And then you've heard this thing where, portion where Paul was tested. Remember, he had a thorn in the flesh. You ever figure out what that thorn was? I've heard a lot of stories. I still don't know. But I do know that when you get a little rock in your shoe, it's terrible. Or if you're out in the bushes someplace and you get a, a thorn that goes through your sock and it sticks there and it goes in your skin, the point goes in your skin, you can't walk. It's just bothersome. So Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Whatever that may have been, he had asked God three times to take it away. And God said, read with me, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Second Corinthians twelve nine. After all that he'd asked him three times, and God said to him, and he said to me in verse nine, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is uh, uh, my grace sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Verse 10. Therefore I am well content with weakness, with insult, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, read it with me, then I am strong. For when I am weak, for when it is Christ alone, then I am strong. So who then is this man? Who then is this man? Jesus is walking up in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, Caesarea Philippi, coming through there. And he asks his disciples in Matthew 16, 13, he asks them, who do men say that I am? Who are the people say that I am? And they said to him, some say John the Baptist, others Elisha, some either Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And brethren, that's what the devil hates the most. That's what the world hates the most. To say he is the savior, the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
somehow or another, they cannot stand it. Even the Jews themselves that heard him and saw the miracles that he did crucified him because he made himself to be God. For he is God. Thou art the Christ. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you. He didn't say Peter. He said Simon. Blessed are you. I say to you, uh, let me find my place here. Blessed are you Simon Barjona. Because flesh and blood has not, did not reveal this to you. But my father who is in heaven. And I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. The gates of Hades will not prevail or overpower it. So what is he saying? We are built in Christ Jesus. The fact that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that's who we follow. It's not a man. It's not an imagination. It's not an idol made by human hands. It's not an idea or a concept. It is God himself who has come and wrapped himself in human flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. That's who we follow. So when we come to these points in our life, when the struggle comes, who's with you? if not Christ. You may go through trials in your life. You may go through times in your life where you think, I need more. Have you given him place in your life? Is it a a daily thing for you in recent days at the little church where where we're members of there in, in Tyler? We started at the beginning of the year, in fact, we started uh, read through the Bible. So many people, uh, they start, but they never finish, you know. And we pants out these little papers, you know, where it says, well, you tick off every time you read it. And so it's all good. It's all good. Don't misunderstand me. Anything to get us to read the Bible on a regular basis. But I, I, I came across, you probably know, you know, the, there's a lot of apps in there. And, and one of those apps, there's an opportunity to read the Bible through with friends, you know. And we got 150 friends. Well, not. We don't have up to 150 friends. But it was to my surprise that 27 of those people in that small congregation decided they're going to read the Bible through with me this year. And they're staying with it. Oh, some miss a few times, you know, and stuff, but they're staying with it. And we encourage one another. And there's an opportunity at the end of reading the three chapters that you're supposed to read or or what so. And there's an opportunity for you to make a comment. How God has talk to you or spoken to you today what do you do you make of this or whatever you're thinking about maybe you just need a prayer request or something and the other brothers and sisters will read that and make a comment and encourage you and how long does it take I tell you what brother 15 minutes I read slow 15 minutes would you commit to read the Bible? Because the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. And if Christ is going to go with me through the trials, I'm going to need his word to strengthen me. Through, to strengthen me. You know Tim, my son. He lost an eye. You know that. Uh, this is a long time ago. 
who'd just gotten back from Russia, and he calls me and says, Dad, I'm having trouble with my eyes, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, we pray for you and praying for you. And long story short, the doctor said, we need to take the eye out because uh, it's, not, uh, it's not good. We had to remove it. And uh, it was very painful, so I took the eye out. My, I tell you what, going through that struggle, I don't think he struggled as much as I did. So he came to see me one time, and we were sitting in the living room, and I said, well, son, what do you make of all this? And he says, Dad, I'm just seeing what God is going to do. See, where are we going to go from here? And mind you, you'd think that we would have a complaint. I was proud of my son. He's not perfect. Don't misunderstand me. He's not perfect. But the fact that he turned to the Lord and said, you'll do your will. To God be the glory. Not too long after that, he got his pilot's license. <laughs> so, but what I'm saying is that we'll go through struggles. But if you take Jesus along, now don't be like somebody who comes to the church, oh, oh God, I got to get close to God because I'm going through some struggle. Too late. You know, <laughs> start now. And keep going with Christ. And the best way I know is to keep staying the word. I thank God for Pastor Luis as he preaches the word of God every day. For Richard as he teaches others. I don't know the others, but I'm sure others are teaching and preaching and whatever they're doing. Thank you. Let's put all that to practice. Put it all to practice. God bless you. Jim, we're going to talk more about you tonight. Uh, we're going to enjoy that time. But God has blessed this church. Brethren, God has blessed this church. Uh, news about Brother Whitaker, just as I close. Uh, I don't know if you're in touch with him or not, with Carmen, actually. But he's not doing too well. He's, they're living in, in, um, in uh, Georgia, not here in California anymore. They're in Georgia. Otherwise, they would have been here. I'm sure that Carmen would have, would have made the effort to come. But um, he's having a hard time recognizing even the family. So... Just pray for them. They, they're struggling. She's struggling, but uh, her faith is strong. Every time I talk to her, she's very chipper. So pray for them. But God has blessed this church with some wonderful leaders. Uh, let's be obedient and loving and caring for one another. And may God take you to do even greater things, not only here, but around the world. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, Indeed, you are our God. You're the creator and sustainer of life. And we are your children by your will. And you call, we're called your children and we're so humbled by that. I thank you, Father, for this church. I pray, Lord, that the words that have been said today that the struggles that anyone may be going through, the strife that they're following, Father, that they're having, Lord, that they may find peace in the message, peace in you, Father, the message of your presence in their life. Thank you, Lord, for what you will do and what you want to do through this church. For, Lord, you can take something small and use it in a mighty way. There are some big churches, Father, some large congregations that you can easily use. But Lord, I believe you have chosen this church to do some great and mighty things for your honor and your glory.
pray, Lord, that every member of this church would be submissive to your will in their life. For in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.